Welcome to episode 45 of the Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thornton and Lester Mitchell here with you tonight. No J-Law. Unfortunately, J-Law had to work late, either that or uh, or the, his his pregnant wife, Savannah, has got him laboring on the house. Seems like J-Law, J-Law works on houses more than I do, seems like. But uh, nevertheless, me and Lester are going to take it home tonight. We'll miss J-Law dearly. But uh, Lester, what's going on, man? How you been this past week? Uh, been great. About flooded out here in Birmingham, but I am definitely enjoying uh, some playoff uh, baseball. So that's about it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get into some playoff baseball if we have time at the end of the podcast. But uh, it, it we're smack dab in the middle of football season, man. We are uh, we're through five weeks in the college football season. Alabama with a big forty-two to twenty-one win over Ole Miss, and the game was not near as close as the score suggests. And, you know, even the score doesn't suggest that it was a close game, but it was even worse than that. Alabama physically dominated Ole Miss on both sides of the ball. Um, J-Law kind of – he said he kind of saw this coming. I did not. I, I would not have been surprised if Ole Miss would have beaten Alabama. In fact, I believe I predicted predicted them to upset the Tide in Bryant-Denny Stadium. And, uh, you know, that was based off what I saw from this defense in the Florida game. And – uh you know, of course, what, what Ole Miss was able to do to Alabama last year. And I know last year's defense, I don't believe, is as good as this one this year. But I don't think anybody expected the Tide to come in and give up less than 300 yards to Ole Miss, especially, you know, in most of those yards coming, you know, from, from eight minutes in the third quarter on. I mean, at one point, Lester, this game was 35 to nothing. Alabama won the toss, deferred. I, I, would, I want your opinion on that, um, that decision. And, uh, and then, you know, just talk about the dominance from start to – I don't want to say to finish, but from start until after the first drive of the second half where Alabama came down and scored and made it 35 nothing. But let's start with the coin toss because Alabama was 0-4 on coin tosses this year. They finally win a toss and elect to defer. Lester, if you're in that situation, is that something you would do? Um, not really. I, I certainly would not have done that. Now, we know Saban loves to get the ball coming out of the half. Um, um, just had an ember alert from across the phone. But, yeah, yeah, we know Saban wants to, you know, make his halftime adjustments, come out, take the ball, whatever, come out of halftime. But, man, this Ole Miss offense never, never would have ever wanted to give them the ball. You know, they would have they came in to Brian Demi, you know, fired up, you know, kissing and get your popcorn ready and all his jazz or whatever. And sure enough, that first drive, they marched down the field. Marched. And, and, and the worst part about that was it was it – was, they weren't taking shots down the field. They were methodically moving the ball on Alabama. Even though they didn't score that first drive, I thought that Bama was going to be in for it based off that first drive alone because they moved the ball easily, simply. They weren't doing anything special. No gadget plays, no trick plays that we thought Kiffin might have done. But, hey, I'll I'll take it. I mean, (laughs) saving those more than we do. Yeah, I mean, and it worked out great. You couldn't have drawn it up better. You know, Ole Miss gets the ball at the end of the first half with limited time to do anything. I think they ran just a couple of plays. And um, I think Will Anderson might have got a sack or Christian Harris, something like that. Then they just ran out the clock. Um, But, you know, in that situation, and I know you're at home, but you've got a poised senior quarterback in Matt Corral. He's played a lot of football. Um, this is the second year under this offense, and there's a lot of confidence. You know, he was uh, the leading Heisman 
um, odd, or he was the the odds leader for for the Heisman Trophy coming into the game. I think he's dropped to like number five now. But um, you know, and then Bryce, he's, he's just he's still so young. I mean, people don't understand this guy started. That was he started five games for Alabama, and as good as he's looked, I mean, you know, he did make a bad throw in the third quarter against Ole Miss. Um, but you know, you want to trust him, but. Gosh, last year, how long did it take to trust Matt Jones? Just because he wasn't highly recruited, he wasn't highly touted. And then, you know, Bryce is kind of the same way. He's such a gunslinger that you just – you hoping that he doesn't make the mistake and you don't want him playing from behind. Now, I know it's easier to play from behind at home than it is on the road, but, you know, you figured that Kiffin's scripted drive is just going to go right down the field and score. Doesn't matter what you prepare for, he's going to script something against Nick Saban and, and his defense – that he's going to go right down the field and score, and, and, he, and he should have. For real, it made a great play by Tim Smith to stop him down there on about the five-yard line. And um, But, you know, when, whenever Alabama kicked off, I'm like, you know, you don't want to be down 7 nothing and then have to tie the game up. You know, and, and that's, you know, you'd rather get the ball, go score, and then make them play from behind because if the game goes back and forth, eventually, more than likely, the guy that's down seven is going to try to get too aggressive or maybe the play con is going to get too aggressive and they're going to be the ones to turn it over. I mean, I know that's thinking way deep into the game. Um, but, yeah, Tim Smith makes a great stop on the fourth down, the first drive in the game, and then Alabama goes right down the field. And that sent a message to Lane Kiffin immediately that I cannot sit here and punt the ball to Alabama if they're going to go down the field that easy, I just – I can't afford to do it. Then, you know, the next possession, he goes forward on fourth down in his own territory. Let's talk about those decisions because you know, I think some people are, are ridiculing Lane because of that. I think it's justified. Tell me what 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 your opinion is on the the not only just going forward on fourth down, but where, at, where he was at on the field. Do you agree with some of the stuff he did, or do you think he should have just punted the ball away and tried to win on defense? Statistically, every time Lane Kiffin punted, he gave his team the greater chance to win the ball game. Maybe just by a couple percentage points, but statistically, he made the right decision. But you can't just go off of that all the time. I know, I know, I know. In baseball, is a big thing—the war between you know the stats guys and the computer nerds who've never picked up baseball in their life and the old school, you know baseball life guys, you know, analytics versus, you know, what you see, what your eyes, what you feel. And that that kind of scenario kind of crept into football Saturday because statistically it was the right decision. But, man, in your own territory against number one to the nation, you've got to punt that ball. At least make – if they're going to – if Bama's going to score on you, if, if Bama's going to score, at least make them work more for it. I mean, surely you got a chance of – punting and maybe you get a call from punt maybe you put them down within the five or surely you can get them down within the 20 and at least make them drive the length of the field you you made it easier for Bama and you know what? on that fourth down it wasn't like a fourth and one or a fourth and two it was a kind of long fourth down right um so I that was a bonehead decision but kudos to Kiffin for technically putting his team in the best chance to you know win the ball game yeah per se and i mean you get you gotta think who's better old miss's offense or old miss's defense and so who who who's who do you want to control the game 
you want the offense to control the game as much as possible. And so I think it's hundred percent justified. I'd have done the exact same thing because, you know, he knows that his strength of schedule has not really tested his defense. And, you know, everybody was drooling over the Louisville game because Louisville sucked so bad. They couldn't get any yards and Ole Miss was making plays. And like this defense, this is a team to watch out for because of this defense is much improved that they're not really, they, they run a new scheme. And if you think about it, it's the dumbest damn thing I've ever seen because you, you got the notion early in the game on the first two drives, Alabama was just going to take what they gave you. If they, if they had to run it 50 times, they're going to run it 50 times. And that's what they did. And I don't understand. And, and Arkansas did the same stuff against Georgia when you're going against a power run team. And it's obvious that they're okay with pounding the football on you and getting anywhere from three to seven yards. How do you stay in that defense the whole game? Can you, that's one thing that's unjustifiable for me. And I understand that that's your scheme or whatever, but buddy, I think it works great whenever you're ahead and the other team is playing from behind because they cannot score quick. I think it's a tremendous defense. And honestly, I think it's one that every defensive coach and every defensive coordinator should have in their arsenal is, um, is, a, is a certain defense, not necessarily a prevent, but something that, you know, if you're going to give up rushing yards, you're going to give up maybe five yards of carry, maybe six um, but if they throw the ball, they can't throw anything more than a slant. They cannot get you with the 25-plus yard passes downfield. They can't – basically, they can't go four plays, 75 yards, and score on you in a minute and 10 seconds. That's kind of what that defense eliminates. But whenever you're behind in the game and the other team shows no signs of wanting to go downfield at all, they're just going to be like, okay, you're going to drop three safeties – you know, you're going to play with five guys in the box against our six. We're just going to pound you. And, and that's exactly what Alabama did. And that's exactly what Georgia did to Arkansas. And that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, why you would stay in that defense whenever the game is not going in your in your favor. Um, but uh, let's talk about Alabama's defense a little bit, Lester. You know, like I said, under 300 total yards for the whole game. But if you really narrow that down uh, to the first half, where Alabama, I think Ole Miss maybe had 100 yards of total offense. I want to say that's what it was. Zero points, a fat goose egg on the board. Um, they did get close to scoring on the first drive. After that, they didn't even sniff the end zone. Tell me the most impressive thing, and not just the most impressive thing, but the biggest improvement that you've seen, that you saw in this game from the Florida game three weeks ago out of this entire defense group. It can be just one player. It can be a group of players. You know, just tell me, tell me what impressed you the most in this game Saturday. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Bama had nearly as many penalties as they had against Florida. Um, against a team like Ole Miss, is going to you know throw the ball a lot, you know, get a lot of PIs and stuff like that. I think this is a, a fairly clean game um, from Bama, and when you don't shoot yourself in the foot good things happen you know that was really cool and we 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 talked about so much about how the game of football has has changed how giving up less than what 20 24 points if you give up 20 24 points that's almost acceptable in today's game with how you know same talks about all the time how the rules benefit the offense so much and 
the defense is kind of at a disadvantage every time they step on the field. So for them to come out and put up this performance against this offense, as a whole, that defense, you got to give everybody credit because this is a team effort. Not one particular group on this field got picked on against Ole Miss. It was a, it was a group effort, you know. And for them, like I said, it was 35 to zero at one point. For those guys to hold them to that in this modern day against Kiffin and his, you know, offense, everybody's impressive. Everybody gets a gold star. I think that uh, I'm going to narrow down it, narrow it down to a position group of, of where, you know, I thought the linebackers did a good job of fitting gaps and just basically not being fooled, you know. And, and I think the Florida game really helped with that because I think – the play that I got excited about the most, I think it was a fourth and five. I can't remember the exact distance. I know it was fourth down. I want to say it was fourth and five. And they did that little tricky speed option play that Florida just killed Alabama on. And, I mean, it's obvious that that's not going to fool Alabama anymore because that was not an Ole Miss's playbook. Um, they figured that they would try to pull it out at some point. Um, because it killed out, it hurt Alabama in the Florida game. They ran, they waited until a critical fourth down play where they needed a first down, and then Henry T just blew it up. And I thought that was tremendous. Um, as far as just being where you're supposed to be for the linebackers, but I think a, a bigger thing for us was the interior defensive line because you know DJ Dale, Justin DeBoigby, um, Fedarian Mathis, Tim Smith, Byron Young, they all have to. Well, we said after the Florida game, they did not win their one-on-one battles. They did not dominate their box. And uh, and so, because, I mean, you saw Florida multiple times just run right up the middle for 15-plus yards on Alabama, and that's because they were not getting off blocks. And I think they did a much better job of that. And as uh, is, is good as, like, you know, Will Anderson and, and Drew Sanders and the linebackers played, I think the interior helped them a lot. Um, by whether it was taking up double teams. Because, I mean, if you if you take up a double team and you don't you get in penetration and that guy cannot work off to the backer, um, I tell my guys this all the time. You know, you're if you if it takes three offensive linemen to block two um interior defensive linemen, you're winning. Because, you know, most of the time you're gonna have an even box. If they had the offense has six guys in the box, you're more than likely gonna have six in the box as well. Seven if they have a running quarterback, you might walk down a safety, whatever it is. But if they're three on two in you, then you're then you're winning that because you're freeing up somebody to go make a play. Now it is up to them to make a play, but you're doing your job as defensive line. And then that one-on-one guy has got to be able to extend. He's got to shuck the block and he's got to make a play. And uh Fidari Mathis did a really good job of that. I thought Byron Young did a really good job. And uh so that was that was my star of the game, was the interior defensive line. Um uh, but you know. Talking about, let's go back to the offense. Lester, you know, Bryce, he didn't have to do too much. He still made some plays. But Brian Robinson, man, really putting the team on his back. Talking about 36 totes for this guy, a buck 70, you know, four tutties. This guy was electric. And, you know, it. the game plan that I said was terrible against Florida was genius for this game because – when they're in that three, that three, two, six look that we were talking about defensively for Ole Miss, it doesn't make any sense to run wide. You know what I'm saying? If they're going to play with five on the box and you're going to run five down and one tight, then just go right at them. That's exactly what Alabama did. And uh, you know, 
90% of the yards came in between the tackles, which is where the holes were, and that's where the weakness was. Um, Alabama exploited that, and Brian Robinson really ran his ass off. Just talk about B-Rob and the, and the, and the job he did. You know, a lot of people uh, maybe like Jace McClellan over him. Trey Sanders, B-Rob might not be their favorite back, but he, he balled out in this game. Kudos to that guy, a guy who's been at Bama for a while, you know, didn't quit, didn't transfer. He bided his time, and it all culminated to that performance. Four tutties, 170-plus yards. I mean, I love it. And I'm going to give somebody else credit, too, um, the offensive line. I know I have a on there. Who? Who? Slade, four for 58. Second on the team. Play. Second on the team in receiving yards this week. Oh, yeah, the slow guy on the field. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cracker, yeah. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. Gag. Um, but, yeah, I've I railed them all season long thus far, but the offensive line, somebody had to open those holes up for B-Rob. And especially, you know, if 90% of your yards coming up running through the middle, um, that's the offensive line creating space and creating opportunities for those backs. You know, um, I but gave you a hard it? time all year long, and I and, – it's one of those situations where maybe you got to see it, like shooting a basketball. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have to see it go through the hoop. Maybe this is the game that jails that that line. So, I agree that they're playing better together. You know, and of course, the more reps you get, and the more games you play, they're, they're going to be better as a group. You would you would assume. But in this game, was it not just a product of the type of defense that Ole Miss ran? I mean, like I said, you, you've got three down linemen, you've got two linebackers. You're dropping three safeties almost every play. I, I mean, like, I, I get you still got to get the guys that are in there out of there, but you, you just – you're like a plus-one man advantage every time. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's not that difficult. And that's why I was, you know, bashing the the game plan from Ole Miss. You know, once you get behind, you can't afford to sit there and drop three safeties every play when you know the other team's trying to pound you on the interior. And uh, so was it really the offensive line balling up? I mean, I thought Cohen played good, Neil played well. I think I think Chris Brown – or not Chris Brown. Um, Chris Owen's still still getting his ass whooped. He was getting, you know, he was getting beat like Rihanna, I guess. That, that's probably where Chris Brown came from. But, um, he, you know, he was still getting whipped on pass plays. Got Bryce sacked two or three times. And so was yeah, it really the pass, yeah, was it, was it really the pass, offensive bro. line playing well? Was it a product of the type of defense that Ole Miss ran, or maybe a little both? I can see that. Was, oh, for sure, a little bit of both. But you know, they they got to get better in pass pro. Jeez, jeez, they've got to. What are we going to do when we play a, a better defense? I do not want to see Bryce's scrawny tail getting hit. Period. Period. And you know what? That's a product of also wide receivers getting open. You got to get open, bro. You got to. But I don't know. I don't I don't think we really have that many playmakers, like I said before, that we're used to in the past. So this may just be the norm for, you know, the Alabama offense. Bryce may have, you know, more people on his feet than we've seen in the previous past, but like you know, Matt Jones behind that great offense line and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Matt could eat a sandwich back there um, before he threw the ball. Um, but, you know, and, and as far as backup quarterbacks go, not a lot of options there. Paul Tyson, very average. And then, um, you know, your third-string quarterback might end up playing running back. Let's talk about Jason McClellan, the one negative from the game. Uh, Jason McClellan out for the year. 
with a knee injury. Um, so now, you know, you look at Alabama's depth chart in the spring, and you have Kyle Edwards, you have Keelan Robinson, uh, Trey, Roy Dale, Kamar Wheaton, um, who else? B-Rob, Jace. I mean, yeah, you have a stable of running backs. Now, all of a sudden, you know, Kyle Edwards transfers, Keelan Robinson, nobody knows where the hell he's at. Um, and then, you know, down goes Jace, uh, and down goes Kamar Wheaton. Kamar Wheaton hadn't played a snap. You know, he's had a meniscus injury that has been bothering him for weeks. And so there's no telling when that's going to get right. And once it does, you got to get you got to get into some kind of game shape. You can't just run out there and play, um, especially for Nick Saban. So right now you're looking at B-Rob. You're looking at Roy Dell Williams probably is your number two and Trey Sanders. We all know that Trey Sanders has made a glass. You know, he had the foot injury that held him out for his freshman year. Then he had the car wreck. A lot of people thought that he would never play again. And he's worked his way back from that. And he deserves everything he's going to get. But, you know, he seems to be pretty injury prone. And so you're now down to three scholarly running backs. Nick Saban said they're exploring options um, as as a fourth running back, you know, if needed as far as depth goes. Uh, my vote is Jalen Milrow. I would guess that he would be the first one to go back there. But is there anybody else, Lester, that you think that, that is getting the looks as, as a four-string running back? Um, the I can't remember who they asked today. There's there's two defensive guys. They asked Mal- um, it was Malachi and uh, Malachi. Yeah, Bro. they had no put, interest. In put Jalen Moody, Jalen Moody back there. What about Christian Story? Um, yeah, yeah, Christian Story would be good. Um, yeah, I think he'd be very good. And uh, but how about just Kool Aid? Just toss the ball to Kool Aid. Kool Aid. Hey, put him in a little pistol or in the triple. I don't know. Let him let him run wild. Motion him out the slot. Just get him the ball. And yeah. let's see what he can do. I think he'd be pretty damn good at it. Yeah, so we're, you're probably looking at Jalen Milrow or Christian Story moving to that fourth running back slot. Also, Drew Sanders injured his hand in the game, and uh, and so he he looks to be out this week versus Texas A&M, and maybe next week at Mississippi State as well. Um, so Lester, who steps up here? We all assume Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner. You know, you and J Law, we we talked about whenever Chris Allen went down, what kind of drop off will you see with Drew Sanders in there? I said. I don't think it'll be significant enough to lose us a ball game. And now, you know, Drew's out for a couple of games. Thankfully, it's not too, too serious. Um, and it might be precautionary more than anything uh, with, with Alabama's opponents coming up before the bye week. So, you know, Chris Baswell, uh, I think he's a sophomore, I believe, and then Dallas Turner, the true freshman, both former five-star players coming out of high school. Lester, what is your expectations for them, and how much of a drop-off do you think they're going to be from Drew Sanders? Um, where's uh, Kendrick Blackshirt? Is he inside or? Well, he's out for the first half because he got a targeting call on the kickoff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I expect him to be in the mix a little bit. More than likely, he's going to be an inside linebacker. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I guess from the guys, if Drew can come in and do it, surely they can come in and do a little bit. Mainly the main thing is just just do your job. Do your job. Know your assignments. And just be there. Go full speed or whatever you do. Um, you know, there's a reason that Drew is playing, clearly because he's better than the other two guys. But if those two guys have been doing what they're supposed to, such as, you know, film sessions, practicing, um, 
knowing the book, knowing what you're supposed to do, knowing what you're supposed to do in all kinds of situations, then I'll take it. What I don't want to see is mistakes been made. Like you said, it's, 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 week, five, it's week five now. And um, it's week five. And, you know, you've been there, done that. You're, you're acclimated now. You know how things go. So, I don't know. Just do your job. But, of course, young guys, we can expect some mistakes to be made. Is J-Law playing with us, or is he actually in here? Listen here, guys. Hey! Chase is 100% right about Drew Sanders. The guy comes in and actually probably gives you more in in coverage. And Drew Sanders did a hell of a job Saturday in coverage, which is something that you're not going to get from Will Anderson. I think the key is – our team's going to try to play with another tight end. Are they going to make the outside linebacker pass rusher try to cover? Because then you're dealing with Braswell and Dallas Turner. And Dallas Turner has no experience covering anybody coming off the line of scrimmage. I think that that's not going to be a big loss, man. You could put, I mean, you can replace Alabama's linebackers right now with Keith Holcomb and whoever the hell else was playing in 2018. They'd win the next two, but that, that, the depth there. Uh, at the at the defensive end, whatever outside linebacker pass rusher is kind of dwindling down. Jayla, what was your biggest takeaway from the defensive side of the ball? I said that uh, interior defensive line play, and uh, and Lester gave a start to the whole the whole team just because uh, the biggest. What was the biggest improvement you saw from the Florida game to this past week versus Ole Miss? I thought they rushed the passer and they got to Matt Corral in uh, way better than they got to Emory Jones. And I man, I thought the DBs stepped up and you're talking about a coach and Lane Kiffin who um, is going to take a lot of chances and they listen they got off the field and yeah they gave up they had some third downs third and longs that turned into fourth and shorts and they got off the field but to me I thought that obviously if they got three down linemen you're going to run the ball but you know I just think it was so big defensively and we all were mad at Pete Golding and I was on the Pete Golding refired Pete Golding train but the interior defensive line and then a healthy uh, a healthy Will Anderson right there. I mean, he wreaked havoc on their right tackle. Could not stop. I mean, they, they and and the guard they couldn't stop him. So to me, the the pass rush was there. And when the pass rush is there, I don't care what you're doing, other than throwing a slant route, man. You're not going to be able to do much. And even Gary said it during the game when it was about 28-0. The only successful play Ole Miss has had all day has been the slant route. Credit the whole defense. I mean, Will Anderson nine tackles, two and a half for loss. It's just, just a monster, uh, and, and you know he it, it credits him with two hurries, but gosh, it seems like a hell of a lot more than that. Um, but yeah, Pete Pete did a great job, man, and, and I don't think he has to do too much because, dude, when your interior defensive line helps those two outside linebackers rushing, because we know that Will Anderson Will Anderson is going to get a rush. He's the best defensive end in the country, if you want to call him that. Um, He's the best outside linebacker in the country, and he's the best pass rusher in the country. He was – I think he was – you know, he was last year in the SEC. He led the SEC in sacks. Now he's leading the country in tackles for loss through five games. And so, you know he's going to get his. So, if you can get any help from the interior offensive line – because if you can't beat one-on-one blocks and you're an interior player, say you're Fedarian Mathis and you can't beat a one-on-one, the center's just going to slide and pick you up, and then the guard and, and tackle are going to double-team – Will Anderson, I think that's what Florida did. Um, you saw them do that, and Will Anderson was, you know, almost, you know, almost borderline ineffective in that game. He, he didn't, he wasn't all over the field like he was against Ole Miss. Um, but 
you know, looking back on this game last year, the defensive players said that uh, that the Ole Miss game was a wake up call for them, Lester. And uh, and so this year, is it fair to say that the Florida game down in the swamp, where Alabama got torched for four hundred and fifty yards and two fifty on the ground? Is it, is it fair to say that the defense got a wake-up call in that game and that I don't want to say they're good to go, but do, do you think that's going to change their mentality for the rest of the season? Because it certainly looks like it. I hope it was a wake-up call. I hope it was a wake-up call to, you know, and Saban alluded to this. They've got to get better at, you know, the little things and finishing ball games. Finishing. Now, human nature isn't going to let you – just go boss the wall for, you know, 60 minutes when you're up 35, you know, 40. That, that, that's not going to happen. So, of course, Ole Miss is going to score, you know, they're 21 points. But, you know, it just showed them that if you're not on your game, you can be beat. And with Kevin's reputation, you know, coming in, you know, behind the game like Florida, I would hope that they're on their, they're on their toes. And it seems like there were from everybody from Nick to Pete, and it translated all the way down to the players. They were ready for Kiffin for this offense. They were prepared for this game, and it was really great, great to see. Yeah, and, and Nick Saban said that <clears throat> when they were getting on the plane or the bus or whatever after the Florida game, he, he was under the impression that a lot of the players felt like they had lost the game. They were down on themselves. And he said, for once, I had to actually pick the players up and say, guys, you know, we still won the game and you should be proud of that. But I think a lot of the players took it on themselves that, you know, hey, this isn't us. We got to get better. There's a standard we want to play with. And, of course, you know, you hear that in the player interviews. But what are they going to say? I mean, you know, that's that's you can call it coach speak or whatever. Um, but that's that's what everybody says, uh, that they're never satisfied. They're, you know, that's not the Bama standard or the Auburn standard, whoever's up there. You know, they're going to say that they can play better. Um, and, gosh, it, that first half was about as perfect as you can play. Um, so incredibly proud of them. Let's, let's slip down to Death Valley. Saturday night, 8 o'clock, a game that we all thought was going to be close. You really didn't know which Tigers were going to pull it out. I think J-Law um, – Selected Auburn to win. I picked LSU, um, both around the 24-20 mark. Uh, but Lester, let's start. Bo Nix, man. Hey, you put that guy in the pocket, and you you go down 15 yards down the field, and you put a bright red barn up, and you say hit that with the football from the pocket, he's got no chance. He's got no chance to do it. You tell that joker to run around and throw it off his back foot after shucking four tacklers, he's going to hit it square in the middle. Talk about Bo Nix and what he was able to do with his legs in order to pull out this W in a hostile environment. Well, um, five-star dual-threat quarterback, and he did what he was built to do, make plays with his legs. Um, by hook or by crook, he, he got it done. Um, we're always asking, how does he do this? How does he do this? Well, he's been doing it for a while, and – at this point, it's to be expected. He did what he's supposed to do. He came down there, and, you know, his team left the win. That's all you can look for. Um, that's all you can ask. And I've struggled with this. I've been looking for comparisons for Bo Nix for a long time. Like, who is this guy? And the comparison that I came up with is that he's the Denver Broncos' Tim Tebow. That's who he is. 
if you ask any of the ESPN guys or any sports guys or, you know, anybody associated with the NFL, when they ask around the NFL league about players that played at that that time, they will tell you Tim Tebow is the worst prototypical quarterback they have ever seen on a 53-yard wide, 100-foot-long football field. But, 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 that very same Tebow went 7-1 with the Broncos, even had a playoff win. Won a playoff game, yeah. Yeah, he's, 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 he's the worst quarterback anybody has ever seen on an NFL field. But he got the job done. And that's going to be my analogy for, for Bo Nix until he leaves the Plains because that's, that's what he is. He's not a good quarterback. He's hovering above, a little above 50% completion percentage. Mm-hmm. For his career. But – First, first career, like he yeah. is who he is at this point, and that that that's what it is. But more times than not, his team has won the football game. So this is what's to be expected from Bo, from Bo Nix. It's it may not be, you know, it may not look pretty, it may not go with the plan as always, but it seemingly the job gets done. Yeah, he, he's never been over sixty percent in his first two years. Um, and right now I think he's sitting in about 55. I think Drew Montgomery texted us that earlier today. And, uh, but yeah, man, I just, I don't understand how, how this guy can run around and just kind of do a little pump fake and get guys, you know, flying in the air and then, you know, make incredible throws on the run with guys in his face, getting drilled. And then, the next drive, he's in the pocket and he tries to throw a slant and he almost hits Brian's heart. Brian, he almost knocks Brian Harson's headset off. I mean, he's not even close. It's not like he threw it at, at the back hip of the receiver and he kind of dropped it or whatever. Maybe it's a little low or it's a little high, you know, just above the helmet. Dude, he, it wasn't even close from the pocket. This guy has no chance. And that's why he was benched against Georgia State. And is Auburn's offense, J Law, is, is Auburn's offense right now or at least till they till it gets stopped, which is going to be this Saturday. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Is Auburn's offensive scheme a gimmick run play to Jarquez Hunter where everybody goes right and they hand it off left? Very Gus Malzahn-esque. Is their offense, does their offense consist of that play and then Bo running around trying to improvise and find somebody downfield after shedding three or four tacklers? Is that what they have right now? Because everything from the pocket is a dud that Bo Nix tries to throw. And then you saw against LSU, LSU did not have a great run defense, and they absolutely shut Tank down. You had a, you gave up a 44-yard run to Jarquez Hunter off that gimmick play. Is that is that what their offense consists of right now? Well, there's not a lot going on on that offense. I mean, it there's not a lot of talent either, and that's a big problem. I mean, when you're playing Georgia, you're playing Alabama, I mean, Ole Miss, Arkansas may be exposed. Also, I, I don't know. We I think we elevate coaches a lot. LSU did nothing different in an Auburn game than they did the weeks prior. Why does it take the whole first half for Derek Mason to make an adjustment to stop what they're doing? I mean, what what took him a quarter and a half to say, uh, let's just drop seven or eight guys in coverage and make this very average Max Johnson throw the ball against us? Because we know that we have a – Good defense, not a great defense. They have one good receiver. Let's let's just cover him high low, double him up, and, and see what they can do. And and it worked out. LSU's bad. Listen, they they don't have to 
they don't have to blitz to get pressure. That's about all they have going for them. Their offensive line is horrible. They average two yards a carry. That's bad. They have one receiver. Their quarterback sucks. They don't. The only thing they have going for them is they don't have to rush to get pressure. And they got pressure on Bo Nix, and Bo Nix burned them a little bit. But when they play good teams, their lack of talent is going to show out. I don't know how many times I texted y'all during the game. Edo's got to be fired. Edo has to be fired. There's no way he makes it through this year. What an abysmal performance. He needed to score one more time. It, come on, you got 20 points. How many? How, what was the final? 24-19? 24-19. Hey, dude, you couldn't get to 20? On what, I was saying, what I was saying, I was like, look, I said, you, you know, Auburn's bringing three guys. You just got a double move with, with Kayshawn Boyette and just let it go and just hope he can go get it. He's got to go make you a play. And I, I was really surprised. They kept doing the little slant routes and little sit-down routes and the out routes anywhere from five to eight yards. And Auburn's defense was all over it because they weren't doing anything else. And they were jumping the routes. And I'm like, man, if you just pump one of those and just go, just throw it up and see what happens. I mean, if not, you're just going to punt it on the next play anyway. Who cares? And if it gets picked, you know, hopefully it's 50 yards downfield and that acts like a punt anyway. I was really surprised that they didn't try to do anything like that. But, yeah, that's a, dude, you're dead on there. Ed O's and some deep shit. Uh, I mean, these guys are, what, three and two right now? And you're looking – you're going to get beat this weekend by Kentucky. you got to go on the road. Kentucky's going to beat you. Stingley's already quit. Uh, he, he was like, yeah, I'm going to have surgery. I'm out. I'm done. Um, they lost, I think, uh, another DB. Can't, can't remember. They lost, their star, they lost their star running back because he wasn't signed up for the right classes. Yeah. I mean, think about what would happen if Brian Robinson – who is getting fired because Brian Robinson wasn't in the right econ class? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, they, they got to play Florida. You got to play Ole Miss. You got to play Alabama. You got to play Arkansas. You got to play Texas A&M. I mean, if Ed O goes – I think I texted you If he goes seven and five this year, which that might be the ceiling for him right now, the way it's looking, if you go seven and five, then since his national championship – I'll say that again. Since he won the freaking Natty. In 2019, he'll be 12 and 10. That shows you what he is right there. He caught lightning in a bottle. He 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 had made a great hire with Joe Brady. Turns out, too bad he didn't. He hated the college game. He hated recruiting, but he got what he needed out of him. You know, he was lined up with 14 draft picks on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, like seven first rounders, uh, a quarterback who just became phenomenal after being after completing 58 percent of his passes his junior year. He comes out as a senior and just lets it rip, and he's dead accurate. You got Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, Thaddeus Moss. I mean, you got Terrace Marshall. You got dudes all over the place. And uh, since then, this guy goes 12 and 10. I, I don't see him lasting through the end of the year. I don't think there's any chance. Can LSU afford to fire at Orgeron? Well, what they're going to fire him for calls. They're they're going they're going to get. He's got so much heat on his ass, he man. Does. He does. He's got so much heat up his ass that he um, he's. I think there's there's plenty of ways to fire him with calls, and then you don't have to pay a buyout or the rest of his contract or whatever. He's just gone. I think that's what LSU's going to have to do. Yeah, they're they're, they're going to have to do something. Clearly, with all the problems they've had with the sexual misconduct stuff, um, players. I think Clyde Edwards Hillair killed somebody or something at some point or whatever down there. Um, LSU needs new blood, and they need to – they need a guy who's going to come in and run a clean system who's not going to overlook 
you know, Title IX stuff and these players allegedly sexually assaulting, you know, women on campus and things like that. Like, all that alone, when those stories came out, I thought he was gone anyway. But it just goes to show you how much a national championship can buy you. So uh, after the win, you know, Auburn didn't, you know, Bo Nix didn't win a lot of road games under Gus Malzahn. And he almost won, too. He almost won up there in Happy Valley. I know almost doesn't count, but he does go down in Death Valley and win. Even though the team sucks, Death Valley at night still rocks. And it's not easy to go in there and win. Um, So what's next for Auburn? You know, you've got – I mean – what do you do you think they're getting better, J Law? Do you think they're improving as a team overall? Or do you think it's just a product of LSU being that bad? What do you really take from this game? Is you know, I mean, we all know Auburn's gonna lose this weekend. I, I don't think I don't think you can draw up any scenario that Auburn beats Georgia. Oh, it'll be loud. Who cares? You can't stop the run. Georgia's gonna run it down your throat. They got five stars everywhere. How are you gonna score on Georgia? Is Bobo gonna run around? Noah Smith is going to grab him and break his freaking neck. I mean, Georgia's not LSU. They're disciplined. They're, they're gap sound. They do everything the right way. They play their zones. They play, they play tight man-to-man matchups. I don't think there's any scenario where you can draw up where you can make me believe that Auburn can win this game Saturday. But moving past Georgia, how, I mean, Jail, what's the outlook for Auburn? What, what do you think? Is there, is there, is there a final season – your projections is it do they still end up being eight and four or do you think they they can possibly get to a nine and three maybe a ten and two type year we're not ten and two I think ten and two is off the table so not I think nine and three is their ceiling do you think they can reach their ceiling or do you think this is still an eight and four seven and five maybe even six and sixteen because not only you know what do you take out of this LSU game but you've also seen you can say Ole Miss and Arkansas got exposed but they got exposed by the best damn two teams in the country most everybody's saying Georgia's, you know, Georgia and Alabama are going to play twice this year. That's what everybody's saying. They're going to play in the SEC championship and then turn around and play in the national championship as well because they're that far ahead of everybody, you know, pending injuries. If Bryce Young gets hurt, I don't think that's the case. But, you know, you can say Ole Miss and Arkansas got exposed. I think they're still good teams, and they're actually going to play each other this week um, in the battle of, you know, we got our asses kicked last week, and so who can who can rebound better? Um but but what what do you what do you think of Auburn? How many game how many wins do you see remaining on their schedule? The key is for Harson to keep the team on the tracks after this week. So yeah, listen, they're not beating Georgia, and they and they might keep it closer than what everybody thinks. I like Jordan here for seven points, but how's Harson going to keep it on the tracks if it does get bad? They still have to play Arkansas. They still have to play Ole Miss. They have to play Alabama. Um, and I, those are all, to me, kind of coin toss, 50-50 flips, um, except the Alabama one, of course. So how, what are they going to do in those environments? Ole Miss is at Jordan-Hare. I think they have to go to Arkansas. So, I mean, there's another loss in there. I had them preseason eight and four. I thought that um, maybe I picked, you know, maybe my losses would have been LSU and A&M as opposed to potentially Ole Miss and, and Arkansas. But, you know, I, I – I think you could have said before the season that you think with Miles Brennan being down that they could beat uh, that they could beat LSU. A lot of people probably would have picked them to beat LSU. I did last week. So I think the key is for Harson to be able to get keep the team on track after this week because they're not winning this one. I still like them at eight and four. I like them to slip up in one more game before they play Alabama. 
Um, I think it would be a killer for Alabama, for Auburn to be uh, with only one SEC loss going into the Iron Bowl in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Has it turned out well for Alabama? But um, I, I still think it, they have three losses uh, heading into the Iron Bowl. Okay, Lester. Look, I got to tell you ahead of time, this isn't my doing, okay? I was basically forced to do this. You ready? Okay, so somebody came up to me on Monday, asked when we were recording the podcast. I said we were going to do it Tuesday. Of course, I forgot about Boston playing the Yankees in the wild card game, so we pushed it back to Wednesday. And they said, when you do the podcast, make sure you shout out that fantasy football score. My father has had a fantasy team named the Red Elephants for decades, Lester. Decades. He beats Lester 92 to 59 this week in fantasy football. Makes me shout it out on the podcast. He's changed his name to Steal Lester's Daddy. Lester, any comments on this? Because, guys, look, all right, everybody listen. A little backstory. A little backstory. Okay. Uh, Gage Pregno, I know he's going to listen to this. He was not keeping up with his fantasy baseball team. Lester has tried to get my dad, who's a sports guru, tried to get him in the fantasy baseball league for like the last three years. Every time he comes to the lake, he's begging dad to play. Dad won't do it. So Gage ain't keeping up with it. So I'm like, dad, look, I can just, I can just take Gage's email out, put your email in, and you'll take control of the team. I think they were like, what, Owen, Owen 8 or something like that, Lester? I mean, they were the last place team, hadn't won a game yet. Dad takes it over because Lester's begging him. Think, did he, didn't he beat you twice, Lester? Is that what it is? Beat me twice, beat me handily both times. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kudos to Jamie on that one. Um, yeah, it, it, his fantasy football league is, is – it, it hurts a bit more because that's the only one that I really care about because I've beaten – I've won championships in all the other fantasy football leagues I've been in, um, some more than one. I've won my baseball league three times in a row at one point until I got colluded against by other members in the league, but that's neither here nor there. So I've won all my other leagues, and now my main focus is the one with Jamie and all of his older friends and Chase and a couple of other our friends. That's my main focus, and yeah, it 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 it, it eats me alive. I'm I'm not I'm not normal. I care about this stuff more than I probably should, but yeah, I'm gonna win it one day. One day, I'm Lester. He told me his quarterback Matt Ryan scored 24 points. He told me that he was pissed that he didn't start Daniel Jones, who scored eight more points, which would have given him 100. 100. He wanted the triple digits on your ass. And for those that play fantasy football, this is not like the regular ESPN league. This scoring system was made up in the 90s. No bullshit. Stone ages. Yes. Yeah, my dad used to have to keep up with the stats in the paper and then write it down and tally the scores himself. And, you know, pickups or whatever, they had to call and tell them who they were picking up, who they were dropping. You know, they created this league – whenever I was a baby. I mean, they've been doing this since they were our age, Lester. And, and you know, now some, some of the guys have dropped out. and uh, But there's still, you know, three or four original members. and uh, But, you know, me, Lester, and Bill have gotten in on it. And, and yeah, it, Jamie is Lester's kryptonite. He just cannot beat him in fantasy sports. Ever since Lester begged him to come in the fantasy football league, he's beaten him twice in baseball, which he renamed his team to Lester's daddy. 
and now has changed his name from what it's been for 15, 20 years. He's been the Red Elephants for decades, like I said. And he has changed his name to Steel Lester's Daddy. So, Lester, any final uh, comments before we move on to some baseball talk? Oh, uh, that sweet victory is going to be sweet whenever I get it. One day, won't be in time soon. I don't know when it comes <laughs> yeah. back up on the schedule again. You know it might be next say. year. If, it, if it's next year, <laughs> I'm going to be upset about it because I got to sit on it for another 300 and whatever days. But it'll come one day. It'll come one day. I mean, he <laughs> – I mean, if if you beat him, you know what he's just gonna say. Oh, you know, good job. You won twenty five percent of the time. You know, good for you. Good for you. I'm proud of you. You know how he is. You know, I I think I scored fifty nine fifty nine points, and that's a pretty dang good week of that league. Fifty nine points really is. And usually, I go through and you know, I check other scores. Okay, I would have beaten you know everybody in the league, but this guy, or I would have beaten. You know, everybody. Yeah, I mean, you were fifth. Except for these two people. You were fifth yeah, out of twelve. Yeah, fifth out of twelve I, I scoring. That ain't bad. I didn't even do that this week. I didn't even care because I was just kind of pissed about it. So on to the next week. Twenty-four hours. Nick says twenty-four uh-huh. hours. Yeah, not not for Jamie. Week, he, he's gonna make you look at still <laughs> after daddy all season. That's right. But all right, um, J Law. Let's get into some baseball talk, man. Um, you know, your Tam- I guess you can say your Tampa Bay Rays. You know, whenever it's playoff time, J-Law loves the Rays, or, or in March, whenever they start, J-Law's a big Rays guy. And uh, and so they're taking on the Boston Red Sox. Boston takes down – oh, I think we lost J-Law, Lester. Um, so it's just me and you, um, which is which is good. Good. We'll wait till next week for him to, to, give me, to give me shit about it because, look, I don't expect the Red Sox to win. Um, they might even get swept. I'm hoping we can just steal one game. The Rays are – Hella talented. Everybody on their roster throws a hundred. Then you got Michael Waka is just rejuvenated, revived his career down there. He's he's dealing. Uh, he might actually start a game for him. But um, anyway, let's do this. Talk Braves Brewers. Uh, give me your prediction for this series. How do you think it's going to go? I think Braves are um, plus one sixty, I believe, to win it. And so, not a lot of people are expecting to do much. I think in including the wild card teams, Lester. The Braves had the worst record of any postseason team with only, I believe, 88 wins. Correct. Is that right? That's right. And, uh, and and so what are your expectations for Atlanta in the playoffs? I know they're probably not much, but, you know, what do the Braves have to do to win this series starting Friday night in, in Milwaukee? Um, uh, the starting rotation has been – it's improved. Um, Charlie Morton is phenomenal. That guy at, you know, I think he's 37, 38 years old. Dude's just got a rubber band arm. He's still pumping 97, 98. Um, leading this team, him, you know, Ian Anderson, he's been, you know, okay lately. And then we have, you know, Max Freed. I think, I think the pitching, if it's good, it can hold um, Milwaukee in check. Now, of course, Milwaukee has Corbin Burns, who's a Cy Young candidate. And I think the key for the Braves is they've just got to hit. They've got to hit. They've got to give your give the team a chance. Um, and I think they will with, you know, Adam Duvall dropping tanks. You know, hopefully Jock Peterson with his pro necklace can get it going. You know, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, um, Jorge Soler dropping tanks all over the place. If they can bomb away, they can, they can beat the Brewers. You know, once you're in the playoffs – 
anything can happen. Anything. Um, I'm not the most optimistic about the series, but this team is really exciting, and you know they're really fun to watch. Um, they've been through a lot this year with uh, Mike Soroka going down, Ronald Acuna Jr. You know, going down with the Taurus freaking ACL, going for a ball in Miami um, at the wall. But um, once you're in, anything can happen. Um, it should be exciting. It should be fun. Um, I'm looking for them to make a lot of noise, hopefully win a series, and, you know, we'll go from there. Um, I'll never forget 2019, or what was it, 2020, so as long as I live. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Looking forward to see what they got coming up starting Friday. Yeah, I mean, Mike, Mike Soroka continues to screw the Braves in the postseason. <laughs> That's just an electric factory. And, you know, it seems like every year, you know, man, if we had a healthy Mike – if he was good to go. And then, you know, when Ronnie went down, everybody expected the team to pack it in, uh, myself included. And they didn't. They, uh, Me too. Yeah, and, and they didn't. You know, they went through a rough stretch for a while, but then, you know, down the stretch, man, they've been playing really good baseball and uh, and won the division, uh, you know, did what they had to do. And it's not the strongest division. We all know that. But they still won it, you know, without two of their best players. I mean, if you ask – if I ask you who's the ace at the, at the beginning of the season – you know, everybody's probably going to say Mike Soroka. Um, and then who's the best player on the whole team? Well, R.A.J. Uh, you know, that's that's hands down. He's one of the best players in the National League, if not the best. And uh, so you lose those two, and I tell you that the Braves still win the division with the Phillies and the Mets and the Nats. You're going to be like, yeah, okay. I, I don't think a lot of people would have believed it. And, uh, and, you know, here they are. Yeah, like you said, you get into the postseason, anything can happen. The only thing with me, with the Braves – as far as what, what I think the most important piece of a playoff team is, is their bullpen. And with the Braves bullpen, tell me what you think about that. I think it's a little too, too shaky to make a run in the postseason. Maybe they can get by the Brewers. Um, but I think their bullpen just doesn't have the pieces it needs. You know, Luke Jackson, you really don't know what you're going to get. He's been pretty good this year. But everybody knows Will Smith's a head case. Um, because, you know, you see a lot of postseason games where starters are out after three or four innings. And it becomes bullpen-type games. And so do you think the bullpen is deep enough for them to be able to get, you know, 15, 18 outs in the game if they have to? Uh, you know that scene in Family Guy where everybody, like, throws up for, like, two minutes straight? That, that's <laughs> kind of how, how I feel watching this bullpen sometimes. Um, you know, Will Smith, you're, you know, $13 million a year guy. He's 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 all you got. He's not all you got, but you know he's the closer. He's the back end of that rotation. The Braves would have won so many more games if he would have had his act together just a little bit more. Um, but you know, people can look at the numbers and the second most closed saves in the National League behind, I think, Mark Melanson or whatever. It, it don't matter. He's blown how many now. What's his ERA looking like? And, and even the ones that he's – Yeah, and even the ones that he says, he's got you on the edge of your seat just shaking. It's, I mean, there's two never, guys on and, yeah. yeah. Never a smooth experience. Never. And you can say that about any of the guys in the bullpen. Luke Jackson, he's going to put two guys on before he caves up the next three. It's never smooth. It's never – you know, you're never at ease watching the Braves game. But it, it's going to be exciting. Um, but – yeah, I, yeah, that bullpen. That's why I say these guys need to bomb away. Hit your homers, knock the ball out, 
get up, score a lot of points, and maybe we won't have to worry about the bullpen as much. Yeah, I think the, the bullpen is Boston's issue as well. They, they've had spurts this year where they've been really good, and they've had spurts where they've been really bad. You know, the latter part of the year, they were more bad than good. Um, you know, adding Hansel Robles uh, at, at, the, at the deadline didn't really pay off what they thought it would. I mean, he was really, you know, blowing up with the Twins, and then he comes over to Red Sox. He didn't have the greatest second half. Um, pitched good against the Yankees the other night. But uh, Garrett Whitlock's taking on a, a bigger approach. But, you know, he did give up a homer. It was a six-win game, but he gave up a homer the other night to, or last night to Rizzo, I believe it was. Can't remember exactly. But, um, you know, it, it's really – or no, Stanton. Sorry, excuse me. But, um, yeah, you know, guys like Josh Taylor, Robles, Garrett Richards, uh, it's just really shaky in the back end for Boston. So, if you don't get five or six from your starter, I really don't see Boston having a chance. And you've got Chris Sale, Nate Evaldi, who I think can be locked down guys, um, had a lot of postseason experience. And then, you know, you get Eddie Rodriguez, who threw great against the Dodgers in the World Series in game three. But then, you know, gave up the three-run bomb to Puig. Um, that was the only three runs he gave up. So they left him in there just a little bit too late. But you see that happen so much. When you have teams that have weaker bullpens and postseason play, the starter gets stretched out a little bit too long. In a postseason, once you get to that lineup the second time, if they get to see you a third, it's really tough, <laughs> really tough. And so usually, you know, the guy's been a guy's been dealing, and then all of a sudden he gets two guys on, and you want to stick with him because he's done so great up to this point that you try to trust him, and then he gets a, a three-run dong, and you find yourself down to run or the game's tied or whatever the case is. You see that happen a lot in postseason when you had these uh, these aces or, or just any kind of starter who's dealing on the mound when you're dealing with a team with a not a bad bullpen, but just, I mean, maybe for postseason play, a bad bullpen. Um, but uh, I think Boston, if J.D. Martinez can get right, I think they can hit with anybody. Uh, you know, Bogarts, he, he – played terrible down the stretch the last 10, 14 days uh, were just putrid for, for the X-Man. Then he comes out and hits a two-run dong in the first inning on Tuesday night, which is huge for him. You get him turned around, and then, you know, Ploiecki's getting clutch hits, and Verdugo's getting clutch hits, and, and you know, you get Kike going, Christian Arroyo, J.D., Devers. I mean, you know, I think whenever they're healthy, I think they can hit with anybody in baseball. But, you know, start notation is a little shaky. And then once you got guys like Nick Pavetta and Garrett Richards coming out of the pen who are predominantly starters, you never know what you're going to get. And, I, you know, postseason, you, you really can't count on guys like that, right? Yeah, it's – yeah. Yeah, especially guys who, you know, you weren't really confident in as starters and you throw them in as a reliever in more pressure pack and more intense situations. And you routine. never know how those guys – yeah, you never know, you know, the off the routine, and you never know how those guys are going to react to those scenarios, to those situations. You know, everything is, you know, magnified in the playoffs. So, you know, it'll be interesting. And the Braves kind of have a, situ sim a similar situation with that with um, Drew Smiley. That's the biggest waste of $10 million I have ever seen. And – I frankly do not want to see him ever pitch in Braves uniform again. But you know, you got to do something, something with him. He's on your roster, so you know, you just have to see how those guys are at. Hopefully, they do well. Boston has really good guys to 
um, such as Whitlock and you know a couple of the young guys who look really good. So y'all are much better in that situation. Who's your World Series prediction? We're just gonna go Giants Astros like everybody else. Uh, no, I'm gonna say White Sox. Come out of the AL. I don't see it. I, I just I think their division is just too weak. I remember yeah. seeing a stat. And it was in late July, and I didn't really keep up with them through the dog days of summer. But um, I, you know. I, I don't – I think their division was so weak and it really hurt them. And I think they feasted on that weak division because I want right. to say outside of their division in the AL, they were like – they're winning like 45% of their games, maybe right at 50%. They were not great outside their division. And the Astros, they'll, they'll throw the hell out of it and they'll hit the hell out of it as well. I mean, they're a complete baseball team. They're really good. And don't look past Tampa Bay. I don't know what's in the water down there. But I don't care who that organization loses from a, a, a management standpoint or um, a front office standpoint. Those guys are going to win. I think the Tampa Bay Rays, all five divisions through the minors, won the championship or something. And that is insane. And clearly that stuff, you know, is, is bred from the bottom of the the you know minor league system and and it, and it, and it, and it, and it, and it comes up at the top so you know whatever voodoo those guys going on you know like yeah. I said you mentioned Michael Walker earlier finding mm-hmm. him out of whatever garbage can he was in good lord that guy was in the dumps towards the end of that Cardinals run and he's revived his career so you know definitely look out for the Rays. Yeah, I guess whenever you get the number one pick for like 15 years in a row, you, you tend to pile up some talent and now it's showing because they had like the fourth, so. <laughs> they had like the fourth lowest payroll in baseball or something like that. But uh, you know, Boston got their general manager. So I, you know, I hope that uh he can do the same except with some cash uh, up in up in Beantown. That's what you hope anyway. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a you know, it's gonna be Tampa Houston, and then you know, I think the Dodgers and Giants can be a great series if the Dodgers do not lose tonight, and what is that game? Is it at right now? It's not even on. Which one? Dodgers and St. Louis? One to one. Yeah, one to one. One to one. Top five. Yeah, so, um, you know, we'll see who wins that one. You know, this show will be released by the time that game's over, so you guys will know the winner while you're listening. But um, whoever wins that takes on the Giants. I mean, do you trust the Giants in the postseason? Do you think they're just, you know, a hot regular season team? Do you think it'll carry over? I have no choice but to trust them. They are the yeah, you're right, highest 108-win team Dude, ever. You tried I mean, to, the Dodgers you, and the Padres get all the press, but, man, the Dodgers have been the best team in baseball just about the entire year from top to bottom. they just remember, consistently been getting it done. We talked in fantasy about a trade for Kevin Galsman. And what I, what I tell you is like, I just – I don't know. I, I don't think he's going to sustain it, and I don't want to give up a lot for – a pitcher who's been average his whole career. Then all of a sudden he starts balling out. I mean, that was that was the whole team. Is you know, hopefully it's just their year. I mean, I would not mind anybody but LA, really. I mean, even if Tampa won it, I wouldn't mind. I mean, you know, it just gives you motivation for next year being in their division. Uh, as far as you know, the Red Sox go, you know, you get to play right. the real champs 20 times. So but right. anyway, uh, real quick, we'll give our uh, let's give our Bama score predictions and then we'll give our Auburn ones as well. Bama going on the road to Texas A&M. Um, A&M just lost. They've lost, like, two offensive linemen. They're starting quarterback. They're just a – you know, they got a bucket full of issues over there. Alabama has some injuries as well, but I don't think it's going to affect them to the point this game will be close. Lester, give me a score for this one at Kyle Field. 
I will say 45 to 20. Good score. Good score. I think A&M gets the ball in twice on the starters, once on the backups, maybe under five minutes ago in the game. Um, I remember when it was like 52 to 24 a couple of years ago, um, Jimbo was like calling timeouts. And the thing is like his first year at Texas A&M, he was calling timeouts and he was down like 30 points or some shit like that. Yes. And he claims yes. that he was just trying to get reps or whatever. I, I don't I, I don't know. Jim, Jimbo usually does have a good offensive plan against Nick Saban, much like Lane Kiffin. But you saw what they did to Lane Kiffin. Um, so I, I'm going to say they sneak in three tutties. I'm going to say Bama really shuts it down in the second half. Uh, I think maybe the injury bug has Saban spooked a little bit. Um, I'm going to say 38-21 Alabama. I think it's the same score I gave for the Miami game. So I, I, I'll go 41-21. We'll, we'll cover the 17 and a half, which is what it is right now. I'll go 41-21 tied. Um, moving over to Jordan Hare, Georgia coming in, playing Auburn. Going to be a crazy environment, but these two teams on paper are so different. I mean, Georgia is elite, far superior to Auburn, but, you know, you never know. It's a rivalry game, the South's oldest continuous rivalry or whatever it is. Um, Lester, what's your score prediction for this game in Jordan Hare Saturday? Uh, do you have a line for that? What's the line for that game? I think it's 14 and a half. I'm going to go 27-10. No, no, no. I'll go 27-13. They got a decent kicker. I'll go 27-13. Yeah, I, was, I, was going, I was going three field goals over 35 yards. I'm going yep. Yep. I'm going 27 to 9, Georgia. 20, Ooh, you know, Arson Bay, no touchdowns? Arson, no touchdowns. I, I mean, like, seriously, I mean, I like it. And if like you're an Auburn fan, if you if you're listening to this, by all means, please text me, contact me on social media. You know, Chase Thornton, I'm on Instagram, JCT4UA. You know, I'm on Twitter, JC Thornton 16 Please contact me because I'm I'm serious. And, and I mean, I don't see how – because, Lester, do you think that Arkansas has a better offense than Auburn? Do you think Auburn's is better? Arkansas for sure. I, I thought the same thing. You know, you got Traylon Burks, one of the best receivers in the SEC. K.J. Jefferson can make plays. With his arm, he can make plays with his legs. He's dynamic, he's dual threat. I mean, Bo, I mean, Auburn doesn't have a receiver to that to the caliber of Traylon Burks. You know, they got a, a better running back, sure, but they just ran for – I think Taint ran for uh, three yards carry. I think he ran for like 27 yards against LSU. So, what makes you think you're going to run on this Georgia defense who's given up one damn touchdown or one offensive touchdown in five games? I, I just – I mean, but please, if you, if you have a legit – argument of how not I mean not just Auburn winning the game how they can score then let me know I mean you know you can always say a tip pass or whatever we know crazy things happen over there in Sheridan here um but I just I see him kicking three long field goals 27-9 Georgia all day um all right Lester I'm done man any final thoughts before we wrap it up and get out of here that's about it all right guys roll tide go socks go braves We'll holler at you next week. Next week, episode 45, Gunburners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, J-Law for a little bit, but he uh, he cut back off once, had to go back to work, he says. We appreciate him joining us. Um, we'll see you all next week. We're out. <laughs>